I'm T.L. Putnam, and I'll be your host for the next hour. Each week at Mass, we say those words, I believe, but our belief has implications on the way we live our life the rest of the week. We explore those implications together right here on Outside the Walls. G.K. Chesterton famously said, Let your religion be less of a theory and more of a love affair. Let your religion be less of a theory and more of a love affair. I had a conversation tonight with a group of people from my parish, and we were talking about evangelization. And I brought this up, and you've likely heard me talk about this on the show before. Evangelization is not merely a passing on of information. It's not even merely the proclamation of the kerygma, of that basic gospel truth that God became man in Jesus Christ, lived a sinless life, offered himself up on the cross for our sins in order to reconcile us back to God the Father, and then rose from the dead and gave us the promise of resurrection. It's more than just announcing that out loud. Uh, And in, in some ways, it's simpler than just announcing that out loud. Let your religion be less of a theory and more of a love affair. The the truth of evangelization is that it, it is the, the proclamation of an experience. It isn't passing along knowledge. It's not education. It, it's not even just a retelling of some truth that you heard. Rather, it is passing on a deeply held and deeply experienced truth through that proclamation. So let me give you an example. Uh, You've heard the term perhaps brand evangelist, right? This often comes in terms of uh, technology, right? Somebody gets a new gadget and they love it and they become, quote, unquote, a brand evangelist, which means that they go and they tell everybody about this thing that they have, right? Uh, If you go and you watch uh, a particularly good movie or a play, then you're going to tell people about it. You're going to say, man, I went and I saw this show and it was fantastic and I love the way they did this and I had this this moving experience with it. If you go to a restaurant that you really, really like, you're you're going to, to talk about it. For instance, if you live in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and that listening audience there at St. Michael Catholic Radio uh, celebrating five years, uh, I think this week or next week, uh, and you have not had the opportunity to go to Pancho Anaya Bakery and enjoy either a flan or a, uh, a dolce de leche, then you are missing out because it is a moving experience, right? Uh, this is something that I have uh, loved and, and missed dearly since moving away from that area. And so I'm, I, I'd love for you to share that experience with me. This is evangelization, right? Uh, evangelization is when, when Andrew, the, uh, the apostle, he first encountered Christ. What's the first thing he did? He went and he got his brother Peter and he says, come, I believe that we found the Christ, right? And then he brings Peter along to come and to share in that experience with him. This is uh, an, an expression of excitement, of, of passion, of love that you just can't bear to keep to yourself. You want to share it and to invite someone else into it to to participate. This is the difference between evangelization and proselytization. Or put a slightly different way, this is the difference between a shepherd 
and a cowboy, right? Uh, one leads and invites, and the other one drives and demands, right? If I am inviting you to come and to join me out of, out of my joy, right, out of my excitement and, and this, this wonderful thing that I have, and it's an invitation, then this is true evangelization, as opposed to saying, uh, oh, well, this is the right way and you, you have to do it. Let your religion be more than just uh, the recitation of facts or the belief of certain principles. Let your religion be less of a theory and more of a love affair. And yes, uh, orthodoxy is orthodoxy. Those things that are true are true, but how do we hold them? Are we holding them out of uh, uh, love? Are we holding them out of uh, just a deep desire to be in the presence of God and to please God? Or are we doing them as something to check off, right? It's something that I have to do because uh, God's going to be angry if I don't. There's a, a big difference, even if it's a nuanced difference, between those two things. We're going to talk today with uh, a little bit more about this with our guest today. Uh, Tim Glomkowski is the founder of Lalto Catholic Institute, L-A-L-T-O Catholic.com. Uh, and he's got a new book out on our Sunday Visitor Press called Made for Mission, Renewing Your Parish Culture. It's really a fantastic book, and it's going to be a great conversation that I want to share with you. And a big part of this is creating a culture of encounter. This is something Pope Francis has been talking about uh, over and over again, that the evangelization and renewal in our parish and everything else starts first and foremost with an encounter of the person of Jesus Christ, that you and I get to a place where we have this deep connection with Christ. And you may hear that term from time to time and not completely have a grasp on what it means, a relationship with Jesus Christ, right? Uh, because our context for relationship is, is an incarnational one, that we see someone in front of us and we talk to them and we call them on the phone. And Christ is, is not available to us in that way because he has ascended and is before the throne of heaven. However, he is available to us and directly present to us in the Eucharist. So if this idea of relationship with Jesus Christ has never made sense to you, I, I want to encourage you, go into the church, sit in front of the tabernacle, give yourself a moment of silence, and then pray something like, Jesus, I'm not sure I completely understand how this works, but I want to have a relationship with you and to be known by you. Help me to sense your presence. Help me to grow in this love and relationship with you. When we come back, we're going to be talking with Tim Glimkowski about the book Made for Mission and much more. Join us over on social media, facebook.com slash step outside the walls. On Twitter, the handle's at outside the walls. Come and be a part of that discussion. I would love to see you there. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back right after this. You're listening to Outside the Walls with TL. Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the implications of our belief on our daily life. I'm your host, TL. 
And today, as we are coming to the end of the liturgical year, the readings are taking us to a place where we recognize uh, that all is not right with the world, right? There, there are problems and there are injustices, and that takes us right into Advent as we get the answer to that injustice. And that's through uh, the person of Jesus Christ coming to set right the world. We are uh, now proclaimers of that gospel, and this is our mission uh, you get towards the end of the year, that's, that's uh, we get towards Easter, and you hear that, right? Uh, go into all the world and make disciples. That is our purpose for existing in the church. A uh, number of documents from our popes, uh, both uh, Evangelii Nuntiandi and uh, Pope Paul VI, uh, Pope Francis gave us Evangelii Gaudium. Both of those have reaffirmed the fact that the church exists for mission, uh, we're talking today with our many-time guest. Glad to have you back. Tim Glimkowski is the founder of Lalto Catholic, uh, president of that, and has a couple of other projects, including this brand-new book I hold in my hand, Made for Mission, just restating what we just said, uh, Renewing Your Parish Culture. It's available on our Sunday Visitor Press, uh, osv.com. You've heard about them here many times. This is definitely a book worth picking up. Tim, thanks for being with us again today. It's so good to be here. I always enjoy it. Always good to talk to you. So uh, the, the subtitle of this, I think, is everything, because we talk about how can we re-engage our parish, maybe a, a, both certainly for me as a church staff member, but also for those who are sitting in the pew and you look around and you just have this longing for, for other, everybody to see the, the, the joy of Christ in the Eucharist, the power of Christ uh, to transform us and to make us holy and to, to rise up and, and meet that universal call to holiness. And we kind of look around going, how do we... How do we make that work? I, well, I have yes. this. I have this new book. I have this new program. If we just did this thing, everything would be great. And so you see a lot of people rushing to implement um, a, a program as a silver bullet. Uh, but here, your subtitle I think says it all: renewing your parish culture. There's something deeper than a program uh, that has to be done. So, how do you start? Where do you go to to change the entire um, uh, the the temperature of a parish, as it were? Yeah, that's that's well said. Um, it's an astute observation because that is kind of someone that, you know, people ask me sometimes like, you know, there's a lot of parish renewal books out there. Why did you feel like you had to write another one? And it's not a bad question. You know, there's a lot of uh, ink and energy being spilled around this topic recently. And I thought, you know, in a particular way, this, this um, flowed from our mission with the Alta Catholic Institute, working with parishes and what we're learning to, to attempt that culture change. But I think, yeah, fundamentally for me, the most uh, interesting conversation to be had right now in terms of this whole parish renewal discipleship conversation is that 30,000, you know, where are we at in terms of culture in general and what's happening in the world and in culture? And then in a particular way, um, it, I, I'll just be you know, blunt, maybe, maybe direct, is I, the, the church was founded by Jesus Christ to extend a life transforming relationship with him in the sacramental economy and in you know in the the power of the holy spirit and everything that the church is and does Jesus Christ founded a church as his most effective tool right this is the god of the universe who knows how to how to do things you know he's a very pretty sharp guy <laughs> and he sends the church on mission so that in every time and in every season and every place in for all of human history there would be a place that they could encounter him. He says to the apostles, it's better for you that I go because if I don't go, the advocate won't come to you. And like, like that's what this whole thing, the cross and resurrection, the death of Jesus Christ is about 
fundamentally the founding of the church is that Pentecost, that that Paschal mystery is really, you know, in a certain sense now sent into every, every place. And so the church is fundamentally sent. That's like who we are as a church. And I don't know if the ways, you know, you and I both work in the church world and are in a lot of circles with parish leaders and stuff. And um, I don't know if that's all the time how we operate, if we're just being honest. I don't know if the culture, which is that's the sum total of attitudes and opinions of people who are both in leadership, but then in the pews on a given Sunday, really understand uh, and operate from a, from a lens of thinking the reason we are here at the end of the day is so that every single person in the world can meet and be transformed by Jesus Christ. Well, and, you know, Christ in Advent, we're coming right up to that, made himself present to us, right? It was incarnational. God came and became man. Uh, and and so often, the things that we try to do are almost de-incarnational, right? We try to yeah. fit it to a, a mold or a, an average. And the whole point of Christ being here was to impact, yes, the salvation economy of the whole world, but he impacted the individual first. Uh, and, and so, you know, I look at being in the church world, I look at the programs that have gone before that we can see are no longer bearing the same fruit that they did when they were new. And it has nothing to do with it being necessarily a bad program or a good program. It's simply a program that isn't meeting the needs of this time and this place. It's no longer incarnational in that sense. Uh, And so, you know, of course, the first thing to do is to look at that and say, that's no longer a good program. We need to chuck it and let's go get that program, right? So we're yeah. falling back into that same trap of trying to find a program. Uh, so let's talk about what does it look like then to approach things differently, to approach it not from a what solution do we need to plug in here, but more to uh, what are the questions that need answered? Uh, what are the, 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 what's the situation in our parish and how do we bring that person into an encounter with Christ? Yeah, that's, that's it. That's the key question. So that's, you know, if we're aiming at culture change and not just, yeah, trying slightly new tactics, kind of just from our human efforts, that's kind of how the book is laid out. We start with framing the conversation, where are we at as a church and what are we being called to do? Talk about some key principles that need to be kind of a baseline understanding of when we're using different words, what do we mean and stuff, you know, and what, what is the, the contemporary landscape of parish life? And then very quickly, like one of the, the feedback that came back, you know, you send out the manuscript of the book to different people so that they can do the little, um, testimonials or endorsements or whatever, right? For the the inside sleeve. And one of the things that came back in all of those, these different um, leaders that we were sending the book to was practical. You know, this is great tools, how to, and that, that's really why we tried to write it is, is not just to say, hey, things need to change. Because I think people are aware of that now. Uh, you know, that think something needs to be done differently. This is really about how. So if we have a current culture of the way the parish is constructed, which um, generally is, is as a maintenance culture. Let's just kind of keep, you know, rinsing and repeating doing church as Deacon Ralph Poyo says, which I really like, like, let's just do church to one that is a more, a more missionary stream. Um, if, as we're trying to transform it, there are some key principles or steps that have to be interpreted in, in a specific parish. Like we have to figure out how we're going to do them here. But, but we think these are really kind of the four key steps to doing that. So first is casting vision. Second is building a clear path to discipleship. Third is mobilizing leaders to be a part of that renewal effort. And then four is aligning key ministries with that, that, that vision for, for helping people encounter Jesus and form disciples. And so each of those have little tactics and decisions and strategies within them. 
But those are what we think are kind of the the overall movements that actually begin to change culture. Mm-hmm. Well, and what I love about this book specifically, uh, and this is not to to discount any other book because there's lots of them out there from uh, Divine Renovation to the the stuff from Church uh, Church of the Nativity, the Rebuilt series. All of those came from a priest's perspective in what he found successful in his ministry, in his parishes. Uh, and this this book, Made for Mission, uh, available on OSV Press, osv.com. Uh, yeah, 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 there we go. Always it, plug. For always. Uh, this this comes out of the work that you have done in consulting through LALTO across the spectrum at parishes, multiple different places, multiple different realities, and it's not just what worked in a time and place uh, that then has to be kind of tweaked for because I'm not in Canada or I'm not in in you know Nantucket or wherever. Uh, it's because I am in a very different location with very different culture. This is, I think, more accessible even than those books are. Yeah, we wanted to speak to some of those. Yeah, like you said, universal principles that can then be interpreted, you know, in a specific context. And and yeah, I with you. To, to me, the divine renovation. Uh, you know, Ron Huntley and Father James Mallon are just doing amazing work for the church. So yeah, like you said, there's no, um, in, in talking about some of the specific things that went into the making of this book, but that, yeah, that's, that's kind of what we were trying to do is say, all right, we're seeing um, a bunch of uh, different contexts and trying to pull from those some principles that work anywhere, you know, regardless of, of, um, of situation, it's size of the parish, you know, like, uh, this is this could be a 150 family parish or a 6,000 family parish. Like these are kind of the things you need to do to start operating missionally. That's that's really well said. That's exactly what we were trying to go for there. So let's let's take this into because the book goes so practical. I want to go practical with you. Um, tell me a, a, an example that you have of watching a parish, watching the culture change, and what difference that made practically. You know, a lot of times we we try to think of, oh, well, this program worked really well, whether it was Curcio or, uh, or Christ Renews His Parish, and, and the program gets the credit. But really, at that time and that place, the program was facilitating this change that you're talking about. So talk about what it might look like for a parish to catch this vision and how that could play out. What are the specific pragmatic, you know, change the names if you need to, to protect the innocent. What have you seen happen as people grab a hold of this vision? Yeah. So for us, what we really talk about in the book is the idea that um, a culture of a parish changes when the hearts of the people in that parish change. Like the the long-term ways, you can do things from the top down to start to influence culture, but culture change is final and complete when when the lives of people are being transformed and they're actually becoming disciples. So they're um, a disciple is not a finished product. It's not a perfect person. It's not a saint, but it's somebody who has said, I, it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. I've made an intentional decision to follow Jesus with my entire life, right? And so um, when you watch that start to happen in a parish, when a parish culture starts to be populated by a lot of disciples, it, it, the, the results vary because um, it really depends on the, the, the individuals who are there. There are some consistent things, right? Disciples always hunger for more of the sacraments. They always hunger for more of uh, of, of time with Jesus personally, right? In, in adoration and in a personal prayer life. Disciples uh, always give of their time, talent, and treasure um, and are creative in discerning what missions they're being called to. So, um, you know, I do think you see uh, one of the great signs of hope for me that I've encountered a couple different times in our ministry 
is um, a lot of campus ministry programs because they know that they've been operating. This, this is one of the problems is a lot of parishes don't realize that they're operating in a post-Christian context. So they, they think it's okay to just kind of do business as usual. But, but campus ministries on college campuses have known for a long time that they are, right? Because right. it's this is, you know, the university system, right, is historically a very, you know, secularized place, so to speak, right? And so aware that that's the context they're trying to do mission in, a lot of them have been attempting different things for a long time. And you're starting to see a ton of fruit from it when, you know, yeah, different ministries like Focus come in, but then also, you know, campus ministry efforts on the ground. There have been places across the country that have already started to see the kind of culture change that we're describing. I'm thinking of Colorado State in uh, Fort Collins here in, in, uh, in Colorado or the University of Illinois in Champaign-Urbana. Like, there's, a, there's, a, there's some really um, poignant, and, and that is, those are examples and witnesses. We've seen some, you know, through our work with, with Walto, um, Catholic Institute too, parishes who start to operate this way, starting to watch lives be changed. Um, but there's a long-term commitment to culture change here, which is going to take 10, 15, you know, maybe, maybe as, as little as five, but it's going to take time because it requires helping people to experience personal conversion. Uh, so it's conversion at, from leadership of how they act, but then also personal conversion as well. Gratitude generates generosity. Uh, we're talking today with Tim Glomkowski. He's got a brand new book on OSV Press, osv.com, called Made for Mission, Renewing Your Parish Culture. When we come back, we're going to talk about another new initiative, because he doesn't have enough going on, called reviveparishes.com. You're going to want to stick around for that. Join us over on social media, facebook.com slash step outside the walls. On Twitter, the handle's at outside the walls. Come be a part of the ongoing conversation. And we'll be right back right after this. You're listening to Outside the Walls. Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the implications of our belief on our daily life. I'm your host, TL, and today we're talking with Tim Glimkowski. You just don't have enough on your plate. Uh, no, my, my wife thinks so, too. Right, I yeah. bet. Yeah. President and co-founder of Lalto Catholic Institute, where you go around and, and consult with parishes to help them change the culture of their parish and to become right. yeah. disciple-makers in this post-Christian world, which, as we even as we say post-Christian, that might scare people. Uh, really, we have the same opportunity that the very first apostles did, right? We we have Amen. to over, we have to overcome some um, some preconceptions we have uh, about who we are and what we believe. Uh, we have things being said about us that are untrue. Uh, we have just some some marginalization in society. And I'm looking at this, going, "This is nothing new. We have done this before." Uh, and so, even it is a as it is a post-Christian world, it is also a pre-Christian world. And it has tremendous opportunity because in the absence of, uh, of religious structure, people are still deeply hungering for faith. If we have the, the means and the, uh, the wherewithal to be incarnational and to give them a non-judgmental, non-boilerplate answer uh, to some of the, the things that are troubling to them. So now you've got you've got that you've got the brand new book. It's uh, out on osvpress.com. Made for mission. It's not terribly huge. It's something you could probably read in a couple of days and then read over it again and again and meditate on it. Um, great book. And then you also have something else which is brand new, just launched. Uh, that we talked about briefly uh, on 
Facebook a couple of weeks ago. And then all of a sudden I've seen it everywhere. Oh, and great. It, and it's That's a good time. Right. So it's reviveparishes.com. Uh, and this is a uh, really five or six different, um, what's the word, the conferences for your parish for the price of one person to go to one conference, right? That's a good, yeah, interesting way to look at it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, the conviction for us, I mean, was, so basically, yeah, what Re- Revive Parishes is, is it, it's an online platform um, where a parish has a subscription to the entire platform and can use the different courses that we, we made on there um, to, to train parish leaders. So this is one of the things we were seeing was really like the, the renewal of the parish is dependent on the leaders. Like it's always been that way. And I mean, leaders in the sense of, you know, clergy and staff, but then the parish staff as well, uh, or clergy, I mean, you know, priests and deacons, but then the, the, the staff as well. But then even, you know, a, a lot of parishes, especially good size ones, if you're talking about a, a 1500 family or 3000 family, you know, parish, so many times they might have hundreds of volunteers and catechists and ministry leaders. And right. there's all these different people who are responsible for accomplishing the mission of the church. And a lot of pastors and a lot of, you know, parish staff are, are asking questions about like, how do we effectively train people for mission so that they can go and be as effective as possible in, in whatever area they're called to. So that was the question. Uh, yeah, I'm one of the co-founders. So I have a few partners that are working on this project with me. And then we worked backward from there and um, we're excited to get the Augustine Institute and Amazing Parish involved as, as partners on the platform. But then working back even further, went to what we thought were some of the, the, the question for us was, let's look at all these key areas that, that a parish could be trained on, everything from evangelization to discipleship, uh, preaching, women's ministry, youth ministry, stewardship, fundraising, right? like all the core skills that a, the parish needs for, for mission success. And we, we, we thought to ourselves, who's the best person we could go talk to about giving a course, like a three hour, you know, masterclass style, just amazing course in, in this area and teach everything that they know and do in that area to parish leaders. And we went and approached all those people and for, you know, an amazing kind of, you know, ch- chance, Providence, right? They all said, yes. Yeah. So we have Chris Stefanik and Father Mike Schmitz and Lisa Brennickmeyer and Pat Lencioni teaching a course on leadership, like really people who aren't just theorizing, but like are doing the, this work that, right. you know, they're, the thing that they're teaching on, they're talking from experience. Um, Julianne Stans from the, the Diocese of Green Bay is leading renewal efforts from a diocesan level. And she teaches a four-hour course just downloading everything she knows to parish leaders. So it's, it's exciting. You can probably hear I'm excited about it. Like, yeah. It's a pretty exciting initiative. Um, and so, yeah, we launched on October 7th. You know, I've been to my fair share of, of conferences, right? And you go and you you pay the the entry fee, yeah, which isn't terribly, you know, three, four hundred dollars. But then you also have to pay for the hotel and the travel and all the food. And then you hear it and you take notes as best as you can. Um, but that's it. You're done. You go home, you try to implement it. Um, here, I could watch the course again and then go back and watch it again. And, oh, I missed that part. I want to show, I want to show one of my uh, volunteers this section, go show it again. Uh, and now I have access to this in, in a way that, hey, I have difficulty getting, because every parish does, getting volunteers to do this thing. So I'm going to go watch Tracy Welliver talk about stewardship. Uh, not in a financial means, although that's certainly part of it, but in a uh, getting people invested in the life and the work of the parish. And so here it is in this kind of um, master class kind of a way where now I have uh, access to what you said, all the uh, kind of a brain dump of the things that 
that they go through in their minds when they're putting a, a proposal or a project together. Yeah, that's really it. I mean, you know, these are these are real experts who who you know to bring them in and to teach your parish would be hard to get on somebody's schedule, right? Like to get Pat Lencioni to give a two hour course uh, to your just your parish leadership team would be tough to get on it. You know, he's a busy guy, right? And here he is though. And it's accessible. And we see, yeah, like three, I can see people using individually. They're sitting in their parish office or at home and they're watching the courses and taking notes. We have great PDFs that are, you know, really detailed to kind of walk people through each course. Yeah. Small groups, the, the whole parish staff can get together, do a lunch and learn and kind of like wrestle deeply with some big questions or in large, large groups. You know, when you're training your catechist this year, show them Christophanic's course about suffusing everything you do in your catechesis with the, with the charisma and uh, watch them go, you know, like, it, that, that what you're describing, we wanted to um, take, how do you get the best content to all the parishes in the easiest way possible? Uh, and that's really what we think this does. And then we break everything down into like usually four to eight minute chapters is each. Um, there's usually like 22 to 29 of those per course um, that, uh, you know, can kind of make everything bite sized too. So you can really, it's, it's supposed to be perfectly flexed to be used however your parish needs it. Right. Well, and then you also, you have uh, this, uh, this available, you know, you were talking about, it's difficult to get them on the schedule. Not only that, it would cost twice what your subscription does just to get the one person. Uh, you've got a, a nice big spread of, of programs right now, but you're going to be adding every month. Yeah. One a month, one a month. Every month we're going to be coming out with this, this still this quality and, and length and, and, and in terms of the, you know, these big of, of names, um, we're adding one course a month for, you know, in, in perpetuity. So it's, right. it's got a kind of an encyclopedia of knowledge where the parish gets the platform for one, one fee, but then has everything that ever gets added to it, you know, as they renew annually. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So what, as you have looked at, at parish renewal, you've worked with parishes, what is it specifically about this platform that most excites you? Yeah, I think for me, um, so I, you know, we've worked with parishes in this kind of culture, um, change scenario. And, uh, the reason that I got really excited to get involved with this project was I'm not an expert in communications and I'm not an expert in fundraising. And I have, you know, my own perspectives on, uh, discipleship evangelization, but then Julianne and Chris have their own and Pat Lencioni is better at teaching leadership than I am. Are were you aware of that? You know, so it was kind of this idea that like I would work with parishes and I would hear them say though, but we have all of these issues that we want to, like, we want to do, we want to be missionally effective in every area and parishes can't keep just hiring a, you know, a new consultant for every area they want to level up in. And so the idea that these experts could teach you everything that they know and, and really the tone of each course is like kind of, you're sitting across a coffee table here and they're just downloading to you. Like you got to do this and you can do this and try these ideas. And here's some things we tried and some fruit we saw, like it's very practical. It's very how to, you know, there's definitely theory and foundation, but then um, how to as well. That to me was just crazy exciting to like, to make that kind of that level of training and formation available to every parish in the United States is something that really hadn't been done before. And, um, it's been exciting to be a part of, frankly. Yeah. So the, the other, the, uh, the thing that comes to me as I, I look at this is it takes a great deal of, I think, humility to be able to say, yeah, I do need help in this area. Yeah. It, it, it takes some, some humility and, and I think some, um, uh, a, a, an accurate view to be able to say, I am not the smartest person in the room and, 
and to be willing to go and step in a room with smarter people and be a fly on the wall and listen to those conversations. You know, we live in the world of, uh, of giving opinions, right? Facebook and Twitter and everything else. I'm going to blast my opinion out to the world. And I don't think that we spend enough time as, as Christians, as disciples, as leaders, actually listening to other people. We think we, you know, even there's a dichotomy here because we, a lot of people experience what's called the, uh, the imposter syndrome where I feel like I'm not good enough. And yet we never want to let anyone know that. And we never want to uh, take what it takes to, to improve that. Yeah. I I think it's that shame that really like leads us to that imposter syndrome. It's this idea that like, if people saw that I didn't really know, you know, how to do X, Y, or Z, then what would they, you know, they wouldn't think I'm confident in my job. And it's like, and I think too, you know, one of the the conversations we had, we were just at the Amazing Parish Conference in Anaheim. And so talking with a lot of pastors about the platform. And one of the things that we just kept coming back to in conversations, there was this one pastor from the the Northwest suburbs of Chicago who had a conversation with, so that's my hometown. So it's kind of fun. But um, he was saying to me, he was like, we've got our finance council and we've got a uh, evangelization committee and we have our pastoral council and our leadership team. And like, there's all of these different groups. And he was like, I can't take the time personally to form all of those groups with a vision I really trust for evangelization. So it's like, yeah, for, for staff people, the opportunity to engage with the platform and to, to learn some best practices and stuff too, but also for all of those other layers of, of parish leadership that, that really requires some, some really some strategy. I mean, pastoral councils should operate strategically Who's going to form them to do that? You know, like, well, maybe, maybe Julianne stands right. might be good at it, you so, know? So this is where I want to go with this. Um, parish budgets are difficult, right? It, it's just the, the way of the world. You have a certain amount of money that you can do to give to resources, uh, to put on the things that need to happen at a parish. And so a lot of times a new program comes up and it's like, well, we're already doing formed and that costs this much. And now we've got this other platform that's just for leaders and it costs this much. Yes, absolutely. I want you to take this platform, reviveparishes.com, and I want you to let your your pastor know about it. Let your parish staff know about it. But there's a chance that they're going to look at that and go, oh, that's $1,900 a year. Man, I don't know that we can fit that in the budget. But I bet you that if you got three or four other people who want to see a change in the culture of your parish and you got together and gifted that to your parish, they would make use of it. It would be used to uh, to grow the the ministries and the the staff members and the volunteers. And so maybe your parish is not in a place where they can, can purchase this for a year. Or maybe you're not in a place where you could do it by yourself. That's okay. Uh, get five or six other people together and give this as a gift to your parish, because I think you're going to see the fruit of that is going to be significant and it's going to be lasting because it's what it takes to renew a parish culture. Yeah. Make it yeah part of your, uh, your time. You know, like you said, it's like, there's a lot of people who want to give to something that's really going to make an impact. And I can vouch for this platform. Like I've worked on every single course personally, like they're good. They really help people. Like they really are compelling, um, you know, really good, solid, um, training and it, it is leaders drive culture. And so the leaders of parishes drive culture. So if you want to impact your parish, this would be a great way to do that. We've been talking today with Tim Glemkowski. He's got a lot going on. Go to osv.com, pick up the new book, Made for Mission, Renewing Your Parish Culture. Go to reviveparishes.com and gift that to your parish. When we come back, we have a reading from 2 Thessalonians and from a 2nd century homily. Still lots to come. 
Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back right after this. You're listening to Outside the Walls with TL. Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the implications of our belief on our daily life. I'm your host, TL. And today we had a fantastic conversation with Tim Glimkowski. We've had him on the show several times before, and it's just always a great pleasure to have him on. Uh, He's the president and founder of Lalto Catholic Institute, L-A-L-T-O, Catholic.com. He also has a brand new book with our Sunday visitor called Made for Mission, Renewing Your Parish Culture. Uh, And lastly, he's got a new initiative that he's working with several others on called ReviveParishes.com. All of these are worth taking the time to look up on uh, on the web. And if you want to find an easy way to do that, of course, you can go to our social media over at Facebook.com slash Step Outside the Walls or Twitter. The handle's at Outside the Walls. We'll have some links up there for you to take a look at uh, and to do a little bit of research. If you missed any part of the show, maybe you had to turn the radio down to, to pick up a phone call or the kids got a little loud, or maybe you want to share the show with your friends, someone that you know who would really benefit from this. Well, I've got good news. All of our episodes, including this one, are archived over at OutsideTheWalls.com. And the secret that everyone knows is that there's actually more to this interview than we had the time to air today on, uh, on broadcast but it's available to all those who support the show through Patreon. So while you're there looking at the archives, up in the top right-hand corner of the website, OutsideTheWalls.com, you'll see a link that says support the show hyphen Patreon. And maybe you've been there before and looked through it before. Well, today is worth going back to look at it again because there is a new tier. And a tier is just a level at which you support the show and some, some perks that you get from that. And today we've added a tier for, we're just going to have it open for a little while because we're just about to celebrate next week, our fifth anniversary of being on the air. And I have to tell you, this is really one of the highlights of my week. I absolutely love being here with you. Uh, We've had some great conversations over these last five years and, uh, you know, we've not, not missed a single week in that time. Uh, I've, I've had some weeks where I am just as sick as a dog. And, uh, and yet it's my joy, uh, to, to get on the microphone and to sit here and have a conversation with someone and to share that with you. And so I would love for you to be a part of the show in a very particular way by joining the Patreon community and everyone who joins this new tier over the course of this month that we're going to have it open. Uh, I've got a present for you. Uh, one of the things that we have here is we get sent a lot of books by publishers. And uh, so we're going to do a kind of a grab bag where if you join that tier, I'm going to send you a book. So why don't you go take a look at this? Uh, OutsideTheWalls.com. The uh, the Patreon link is in the top right-hand corner of the page. You never know what you're going to get, but you know it's going to be great. Uh, we've got books from uh, Our Sunday Visitor from Ignatius Press, from uh, from Sophia Institute Press. There's just lots and lots, books upon books. And I look forward to uh, to meeting you there on our Patreon, having a great conversation, and sending you something good to read uh, as we approach Advent. Well, let's go ahead and turn our attention now over to our reading from Scripture and from church history. We're going to start out in the book of Second Thessalonians, where Paul 
speaking to the church there, says, Brothers and sisters, may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who has loved us and given us everlasting encouragement and good hope through his grace, encourage your hearts and strengthen them in every good deed and word. Finally, brothers and sisters, pray for us, so that the word of the Lord may speed forward and be glorified as it did among you, and that we may be delivered from perverse and wicked people, for not all have faith. But the Lord is faithful. He will strengthen you and guard you from the evil one. We are confident of you in the Lord that what we instruct you, you are doing and will continue to do. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the endurance of Christ. That reading comes from the book of 2 Thessalonians. There's this phrase that's been stuck in my head uh, probably over the last month, and I, uh, I mentioned it on the rollout in one of the earlier segments, that gratitude generates generosity. And here we see this laid out for us by Paul, that first and foremost— First and foremost, that we have been granted by Jesus Christ and God the Father. Uh, We've been granted, through his grace, encouragement of our hearts and strength in every good deed and word. And as we look at that and we, uh, we reflect back on the things that we've been given and we recognize that everything that we have is a gift from God, then out of that, we are directed towards mission. And in this case... It's that we pray uh, for the word of God to speedily go forth, for the the presenters of that word, uh, in this case, the Apostle Paul, that they would be protected and preserved. And finally, uh, that rolls back to them again. Uh, He blesses them and says, May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God. See, this is the most important thing that our religion be more of a love affair and less of a theory. May the, may the Lord, and this is my prayer for me and my prayer for you today, may the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the endurance of Christ. Gratitude generates generosity. So this time, as you're thinking about all of the things you have been blessed with, we typically do that around Thanksgiving. Well, we think about what is it that I'm thankful for? Take that gratitude and let it turn into generosity. Let it turn into a generosity of spirit and hospitality and, and care for those that are around you. Care for the poor. Care for uh, the people who are within your own community, your parish community. And true gratitude is never an end unto itself. It always wants to overflow into, uh, into a giving, as, as Christ said Uh, freely you have received, now freely give. Our reading from church history today comes from a second century homily. For the sake of eternal life, my brothers, let us do the will of the Father who called us, resisting temptations that lead us into sin and striving earnestly to advance in virtue. Let us revere God for fear of the evils that spring from impiety. If we are zealous in doing good, we shall have peace. But there is no peace for those who, governed by human respect, prefer present enjoyment to future promises. They realize neither the torment that is laid up for them on account of these momentary pleasures, nor the joy of the promises to come, 
and indeed, it could be endured if their conduct affected only themselves. But as it is, they persist in corrupting the innocent, unaware that they incur a double condemnation for themselves and their disciples. So let us serve God with a pure heart, and then we shall be living as we should. If we fail to serve him because of our disbelief, we shall only be miserable. Wretched are those of wavering faith, says the prophet, the people who doubt in their hearts and say, We heard all this even when our parents were alive, and day after day we have waited in vain for any proof of it. O foolish ones, think of a tree and see how you resemble it. A vine, for example, first sheds its leaves, and then the bud appears. After that, there comes the sour grape, and finally a cluster of ripened fruit. So it is with my people. They have had their tumults and afflictions, but afterward will come their reward. Therefore, my brothers, in order to obtain the reward, we must endure in hope with unwavering faith. He who made the promise to repay every man as his deed deserves will be faithful to it. If we do what is right in God's sight, we shall enter into his kingdom and receive the promise which no ear has heard, no eye has seen, no human heart conceived. So let us live loving and upright lives in hourly expectation of the kingdom of God, since we do not know when it will come. Let us repent at once of our great folly and wickedness, and from now on always be ready to do good. We should blot out past sins by being truly sorry for them, and then we shall be saved. We must have no desire to curry favor with men, nor should we think only of making ourselves acceptable to our fellow Christians. We should live upright lives in order to win the respect of non-Christians as well. The name of the Lord must not be blasphemed on our account. That reading comes from a second century homily, and there's a couple of things I want to point out here. The homilist says, let us live loving and upright lives in hourly expectation of the kingdom of God, since we do not know when it will come. I think there's two things at play here. The first is the, the concept of memento mori. Remember that at any moment, we could die. At any moment, we could be face to face with God the Father before his throne at the particular judgment. And so I should make choices in my life with that in mind. And that keeping death before our eyes is not a morbid thing, but it's a thing that drives us to holiness. It, it helps us prioritize because we see how short the time is. The other thing that I think comes from this is you never know when the kingdom of God is going to come. That could be in the grocery store as you encounter a person who you might not otherwise pay attention to, but God put them there so that you could encounter the kingdom and so that they could encounter Christ. So to be aware that at every moment, the kingdom of God is not just an, an, uh, an end of time thing, but it is a very present reality. And that if we are aware of it, we can respond to the promptings of God and bring about the answer to that prayer, thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. That's all the time we have for today. Today's show is brought to you by Anil Thomas and all of those who support the show through Patreon. Go to OutsideTheWalls.com, click that Patreon link and join their numbers. Join us next week as we mark five years of being on the air. It's going to be quite the celebration. Until next week, may the Lord bless you and keep you. 
May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.